Happy New Year and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and many others. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. Podcast episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, feedback, or guest suggestions to pcfpodcast at vhsa.com. Again, that's pcfpodcast at vhsa.com. And today we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Olga Mauser, a surgeon at Fauquier Health who specializes in treating severe cases of heartburn that may require surgical intervention to provide patients relief from gastroesophageal reflux disease, more commonly known as GERD. We'll chat about treatment options and more in just a moment. But first, welcome to the show, Dr. Mauser. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. So let's just start by getting to know you a bit better. From what we've researched online, we know that you joined Falkier Health last year. Your medical education and training occurred in Mississippi, where you earned both a graduate degree and a medical degree after undergrad studies at UVA. And from what I understand, you speak fluent Russian and you're a fan of classical music. I'm sure those very few details hardly do you justice. So if you would, to get us rolling, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your unique personal story. Sure. So I am a Russian immigrant. My family and I, we immigrated to the United States. I did my um, high school education at Harrisonburg High School, and I grew up in Harrisonburg. Um, And then I pursued my undergrad education at UVA, my medical school in Mississippi, and training in Birmingham, Alabama. I am a general surgeon. I'm very intentional. With that, I've always been interested in community and rural type of medicine. And so when the opportunity presented itself to return back to Virginia, I was very excited to do so. Well, I love Harrisonburg. I went to JMU for undergrad, so Harrisonburg always holds a special place in my heart. Yes, it's a special place. Indeed. So this is our first recording of 2024. And we're just coming off the holidays where people sometimes may indulge or overindulge in gluttonous eating habits, which can lead Mm -hmm. to heartburn from acid reflux, which occurs when stomach acid flows into the esophagus and can cause a sore throat or abdominal discomfort, nausea, chest pain, and more. Occasional acid reflux is not unusual, but chronic GERD, which occurs twice a week or more for an extended period, is a health concern. GERD is actually a pretty common disorder affecting about 20% of U.S. adults, and some research suggests that rising obesity rates are a contributing factor to this. If you would, Dr. Mazur, if you tell us more about this condition and perhaps how people listening to this can differentiate between what might be characterized as periodic heartburn versus symptoms that would indicate a more serious case of GERD. Yes, Julian, you're exactly right. So gastroesophageal reflux disease is characterized by the regurgitation of stomach contents back into the esophagus. And what's important when I speak with patients is to determine whether or not they're truly suffering from GERD, meaning esophageal reflux disease, or if what they're experiencing is just heartburn. Because all of us, to some degree, have some level of reflux. So if you eat a large meal, for instance, and you feel heartburn, that can be quite normal. To understand why folks develop reflux disease, 
we have to understand some basic principles of, of anatomy. So all of us have a mechanism called a lower esophageal sphincter, and this functions as a muscular valve between the esophagus and the stomach. And the sphincter relaxes when we swallow and allows for the passage of food into the stomach. And then once the food has passed, the sphincter contracts, preventing the reflux of food and stomach acid back up into the esophagus. In patients who have reflux disease, their baseline sphincter pressure is low, and they may also experience spontaneous relaxation of their sphincter. All of these contribute to the classic symptoms of acid reflux and heartburn. Certain factors can worsen these symptoms, like obesity, smoking, some foods, and then even certain common medications. The most common symptoms are feeling of heartburn, and regurgitation. So folks will say they wake up and they feel acid in the back of their throat. These are what we call more typical symptoms. Some patients experience some more atypical or alarming symptoms, and this can be difficulty or pain on swallowing, uh, disrupted sleep, chronic cough, new or worsening asthma, and even it can affect the voice box or the larynx. So talking with your physician is very important and obtaining a good history um, of the patient is very important when you're diagnosing someone with, is this just heartburn or are they really presenting with symptoms of reflux disease? Healthcare's constant complexities and distractions can make it difficult to focus on medicine. Covaris can help. Covaris offers medical liability insurance, value-based care risk protection, employer stop-loss insurance, and so much more. You can count on Covaris for protection and services that help you stay free to focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Find out all that Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries. Since this is the new year and many people have resolved to get healthy, and let me just say we are going to talk about other options for treatment of GERD, including surgical options, but Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, are there some routines or habits or behaviors that you might recommend people can incorporate into their lives to perhaps support improved digestive health and to minimize symptoms associated with periodic heartburn? So absolutely. We always want to start with the most minimally invasive option. So lifestyle changes. So this might include weight loss, um, limiting alcohol, caffeine, chocolate, elevating the head of the bed to at least 15 degrees, avoiding large meals, and certainly avoiding eating um, at about three to four hours before bedtime. For patients, and some patients improve with these lifestyle changes. Um, for patients who have persistent symptoms despite lifestyle changes, there are medications that are available. So most patients will self-medicate to some extent with things like Mylanta or Tums, and these are in acids that act to neutralize the stomach acid. They provide quick relief, um, but they don't heal a damaged stomach, for instance, or an esophagus. Some folks find relief with medications that reduce acid production. These are known as histamine blockers. This can be something like Pepsid. But really, the mainstay of treatment 
for reflux disease are medications known as proton pump inhibitors. These are stronger than the acid blockers like the H2 blockers, and these are medications that actually block the production of acid and that also help to heal the esophagus from damage caused by acid reflux. And so these are medications known as like protonics or Prevacid or Prilosec. And from what I gather, I'm glad you brought up those proton pump inhibitors because that was related to my next question. I know that there are some benefits from those, but there are also, I guess, some potential drawbacks as well, which may lead to a recommendation for surgery. So if you would talk a little bit about perhaps that point of determination between when a medication is appropriate versus when a surgical option might be called for, and then what that entails. I know that you are trained and and work with the Da Vinci robotic platform for surgery, so it's minimally invasive. So what is that, that line of decision between medication versus surgery? And then tell us a little bit about how advances in those surgical techniques are producing benefits for patients. So the typical approach to a patient who has reflux disease is first establishing an accurate diagnosis that the patient does have reflux disease. This can be accomplished through a a PPI trial. Sometimes folks will need further workup, like with an EGD and endoscopy. But the typical indications to seek surgical treatment are Patients who do not want to be on lifelong PPIs because there are some known associated side effects with that. There's, uh, there are folks who don't like to take medication. So if patients are poorly compliant with drug therapy. Long-term use of these medications certainly can create a financial burden. And then folks who are young and don't want to be on a PPI for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of their life. And then, of course, there are those patients who just don't respond to medication. These are all indications to pursue surgery. And once that decision has been made, then folks are referred to me and I perform a workup prior to recommending surgery. The first thing that I will do is it's important to confirm a diagnosis of GERD. So if a patient hasn't had an EGD or an esophagogastroduodenoscopy, and that's where we take a camera and we look at the esophagus, the tube connecting the mouth to the stomach, we evaluate the stomach and we evaluate the first and the second portion of the duodenum and we can biopsy these areas, and we're looking for anything that might explain the patient's symptoms. Does the patient have an ulcer, for instance? Is there a stricture? If there is obvious evidence of GERD or reflux disease, meaning there's evidence of erosion in the esophagus or even something known as Barrett's esophagus, then we can fairly confidently say this patient has reflux disease. Sometimes, and this happens quite often, an EGD can be entirely normal and so in these patients, we might need to do something called esophageal pH monitoring. And that's when we actually place a little camera in the esophagus and we're able to monitor acid reflux and measure a patient's pH. The next thing that I will do is perform what's called a manometry. This is typically done by a gastroenterologist. Manometry looks at the motility of the esophagus. Basically, I want to rule out any esophageal dysmotility that might be contributing to these symptoms. 
And then I like to get an esophagram study. This is an x-ray test that allows me to look at the length of the esophagus, also allows me to evaluate whether or not the patient has something called a hiatal hernia and helps with my surgical planning. So once all of this has been accomplished, then we have a diagnosis and then we can talk about the appropriate surgical therapy for patients. Um, As you had mentioned, the robotic platform. So if a patient is a surgical candidate, they have the diagnosis established and they are a surgical candidate. I prefer to perform a minimally invasive operation with the da Vinci platform. The goals of the operation are to restore normal anatomy and to recreate that lower esophageal sphincter valve. This is a minimally invasive procedure. We restore the normal anatomic position of the anti-reflux mechanism, and we perform what's called a, a fundoplication to do this. And this is where the surgeon will wrap the top of the stomach around the lower esophageal sphincter, basically recreating that sphincter. There are some patients who have what is called a hiatal hernia that will need to be repaired at the same time, and we would do that. But that's a very specific discussion to have with your surgeon, what type of surgery you need, what type of wrap you need. Well, that was quite the involved explanation, and I appreciate it in all its glory and all its detail. Uh, A lot of of good information there. Lastly, on the Mm -hmm. subject of the Da Vinci Robotic Surgery Platform and minimally invasive procedures that you perform, what does this mean in terms of patient recovery and return to what I'll call, quote unquote, normal function? So, yes, the advantages of the laparoscopic or the da Vinci robot platform approach compared to an open approach really include less post-operative pain, so it's a shorter hospital stay, faster return to work, there is an improved cosmetic result. The effects of the surgery are immediate, and most patients actually notice immediate improvement in their symptoms. Typically, patients stay in the hospital overnight following the surgery, and they get to go home one day after the surgery. They can expect to eat a liquid diet for the first week or so, and then we slowly advance their diet to a soft diet for a couple of weeks. Um, And it's important to avoid eating the heavy solid foods because we expect some swelling from the surgery. And this can cause food to to hang up um, in the esophagus, and, and this can lead to patients experiencing some nausea and even some vomiting. A return to normal eating may take up to three to four months. So we tell folks to eat slowly and chew their food well. I recommend that patients don't lift anything over about 20 pounds for the first two weeks, but light exercise is encouraged. Okay. Well, it sounds like the minimally invasive procedure certainly has benefits for patients uh, in terms of both improved function and recovery time. So appreciate you sharing that. Before we go, Dr. Mazur, it is a tradition here on this podcast to ask our guests a pair of fun personal questions to close things out. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions that you can choose from. So if you would... Please select two numbers between 1 and 10, and then I will ask you the corresponding questions. Okay, I'll go with 2 and 8. Okay, number 2. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, 
one album and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of nonfiction. So I would probably say for the book, I like anything by Eric Larson. So I'd probably... I'd probably go with the most recent one I read, The Last Crossing of the Lusitania by Eric Larson. Okay. So that's the book, and now we need an album and a movie. Ooh, albums are hard to um, albums are hard to, to remember the names of those. So I would say that um, really anything Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, um, my favorite song is the Learning to Fly song. So I'd probably take one of his albums. Okay. Um, and then uh, regarding a movie, I would probably take the Lord of the Rings series. Okay. It's some form of Elvish. I can't read it. There are few who can. The language is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Mordor? In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, find them. Nice trilogy. Well, really a, a double trilogy, I guess, technically. So yeah. lots lots to keep you occupied. And then you selected number eight, and that question is, tell uh-huh. me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it, it makes you smile. Oh, um... One just one memory. I've been I've been pretty blessed in my life, but I think perhaps the most recent has to be my my husband uh, proposing to me. I think that was we we recently got married in April, so we're still newlyweds. But his proposal was pretty special. He came over after a sweaty gym session, and I had just gotten home from residency from work and. Uh, he kind of popped down and, and asked me while I was still in my scrubs, and and he was all sweaty, and my Chipotle DoorDash delivery guy was knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so there were three of us involved in that proposal. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> that that is that is funny. And listen, you know, life is natural, and that means it's sometimes sweaty and messy and disheveled, and that's okay. That's very very true. Absolutely. Well, listen, I want to thank you for being with us and and sharing some of your expertise and illuminating some of the concepts around GERD for us and our listeners. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again acknowledge our guest, Dr. Olga Mazur. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you.